So I'm going to try something here this morning. Uh, I'm back and I'm excited, which means I will probably talk fast. But then I see Elizabeth and my heart breaks for her having to keep up with me. And so I'll try to talk slow. But I also have to pee, which means I'm probably going to talk fast. I just wanted to see how she was going to tell them I had to pee. I don't know what that... I always have to look at the interpreter because I'm like, oh, that's how you say it. That makes sense. Uh, would you join me in praying this morning? Lord Jesus, uh, as we come to your word, we pray uh, that you would make your presence known to us in new and in fresh ways. Lord, that we would experience your presence this morning, uh, not because it's church on a Sunday morning, but because your people have gathered to draw near. So come and make your presence known this morning. Have your way, Lord. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, as I mentioned, in case you're not familiar, uh, the last six weeks I have been on a sabbatical, uh, a time of seeking after the Lord, and I had a whole bunch of plans going into the sabbatical. How many of those plans do you think actually happened? Maybe one, kind of, but pretty quickly I came in with this agenda. Here's the things that, that I want to do and that I want to accomplish. And the Lord said, we're not doing any of that. We're going to work on you. And I was like, no, 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 but like, I got to work on church stuff. And he was like, no, 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 we're going to work on you. And so one of the first things that I had to work on doing was slowing down. Have you guys ever run on a treadmill? And then have you ever just jumped off? Have you done it successfully? Maybe that's a good question. It's jarring, okay? Like it's, you're moving at a certain speed and to just stop is, is a jarring transition. And one of the things that the Lord told me was like, hey, we're gonna have to work on this. Like you're not, you don't do a very good job at slowing down. And that was one of the first things that he said, we're gonna work on this. But here's what I noticed. As I slowed down, and maybe you can uh, identify with this, as I slowed down, my sense of anxiety began to rise. And here's the thing. I don't believe that it's like I didn't have anxiety, but when I slowed down, anxiety came on. I think it was always there, kind of a slow simmer. But as I slowed down, it began to come to the forefront. There was room and space for it to come to the forefront, which is probably why I'm not very good at slowing down in the first place. Anyone identify with this? Have you guys ever heard of, there's an old theologian philosopher named Blaise Pascal. He's got a bunch of different quotes on the internet. This one, I don't know that I fully agree with, but the idea behind it, he says this, all humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. I don't know that I would agree with all, but we could definitely say most of. Most of the issues we have come from the fact that we just can't sit quietly alone with ourselves our own thoughts, all of the sudden the noise almost becomes deafening. All of the things that we've been trying to avoid and ignore, there's nothing to, to stop us from looking at them. And for me, and maybe for many of you, as I began to slow down, this sense of anxiety began to come to the forefront. A anxiety, as many of you know, is at an all-time high right now in our culture. And actually this time of year, for many, it's, it's ramped up even more around the holidays. Times that are meant to be about rejoicing and remembering, for many, are stressful. And it means close proximity with family, which is a source of anxiety for some. And so at this time, anxiety is even higher than normal. And here's the thing, if you look at any of the research, you start to see that Christians and non-Christians suffer from anxiety alike. There is almost no discernible difference between Christians and non-Christians when it comes to the ways that anxiety presents itself, the uh, severity of anxiety. We all kind of suffer from it equally, Christians and non-Christians. And, and there's an issue with that. We have been called to be a people marked by peace, and yet for the majority of us, we experience anxiety at the same rate and at the same level 
as those who don't have peace. Peace is all throughout Scripture. It's something that, as, as believers, we cannot get away from. Let me look at a couple examples here. In Isaiah 9, we're coming up Christmas is next month, and Isaiah 9 is often talked about at Christmas. Our wonderful counselor, our prince of what? Peace. We serve a prince of peace. When our prince of peace was here with us, he said this in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. So our Prince of Peace left us peace. In fact, said, look, don't be troubled, don't be fearful. All throughout the New Testament, the, the writers of the New Testament books are constantly speaking peace over followers of Jesus. Paul in Colossians 3.15 this is his prayer for the church. And let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts. Be thankful. His prayer was that the peace of the Messiah would control the hearts of the people of God. Over in Romans, he wrote to that church and he said, For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The vast majority of New Testament books begin with a similar greeting, grace and peace to you. Some throw in grace, mercy and peace, or grace, hope and peace, but grace and peace. Paul starts every single letter that he wrote in the New Testament with grace and peace to you. 18 out of the 27 books begin with grace and peace to you. And so if peace is flooding the New Testament scriptures... Why is it that so few of us are experiencing that peace? Again, at the same rate and in many of the same ways as those who don't have Christ, we are experiencing that anxiety, that worry, that fear that cripples us. And I'm going to say something here that's going to sound profound until you think about it. Peace and anxiety are opposites. Whoa, right? Hannah, do the kids still say no doy? No, they don't. I'll have to find something new. Peace and anxiety are opposites, like duh. But anxiety, by its very definition, is the absence of peace. And so what the studies are telling us is that the people of God are experiencing the absence of the thing that is meant to mark us at alarming rates. So let's, let's talk about it a little bit. If you're new here, um, we talk during the messages, which means I don't ask too many rhetorical questions. I actually want answers. And so let's talk about this. What makes us feel anxious? What are some of the sources of those anxieties? And don't give a name if you have a specific person or if they happen to be sitting next to you. Be general. The unknown, okay? There's a whole lot that could fit in that bucket. The unknown makes us anxious. Change. Change. Kind of fits right in with the unknown. Change represents something coming that I, I haven't experienced before. Lack of control. You guys are reading off my list. Well done, church. We like control. We think if we have control, we'll be at peace. And pretty quickly we learn we're not in control of a whole lot of things, and so that peace is removed. Okay, there's social anxiety. Sometimes it's about being with people, and I don't kind of know the rules when we get together and what I'm supposed to say, and, what, and it's kind of that unknown. Global political instability. Okay, anyone turned on the news lately? Anyone felt better after watching the news lately? Guilt? Tell me a little bit about that one. Okay, so that guilt can kind of make us feel like, man, I wish that things went differently, but I haven't invented a time machine yet, and so I'm out of control, and, and the anxiety comes up. Okay. Finance. Finances. No one's ever worried about money in this room, right? <laughs> Finances. Talk about out of control and unknown. I think I'm still going to have a job next week. I guess we'll see how today goes, but like, I don't know for sure, and I don't know how much eggs are going to cost next week, and, I, and we can get spun up. Go ahead. 
Okay, responsibility. How does responsibility make you feel anxious? Yeah, there's this weight with responsibility. What if I can't do it all? Or what if I can't do it all well enough? Okay, go ahead. Screaming children. No explanation needed. Yes. Okay, overstimulation. Math? Failure. How does failure make you feel anxious? Is this going to be good enough? And, and here's what tends to be behind that. What are people going to think of me? Am I still going to be okay even if I fail? Okay. Ian? Under stimulation. Too much time alone in a room, okay? <laughs> Public speaking. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Overthinking stuff. Too much time alone to just sit with your thoughts. Okay, we can keep going. I... This, you guys outdid my list, uh, and it seems like we could have kept going. There is an endless number of things that makes us feel anxious. But don't worry. I have a silver bullet fix. A clear-cut verse that fixes everything. You guys ready for it? Philippians 4.6. Go ahead and put it up there. Do not be anxious about anything. <laughs> Done. It's so clear, right? We should be able to just quit it then, right? Paul's making it very clear, like, look, don't be anxious. God doesn't want you to be anxious. Quit it. Is it that easy? No. Why can't we just quit it? We know that the anxiety we feel isn't what God wants for us, right? I'm going to go out on a limb here. Isn't what we want for ourselves, right? So why can't we just turn it off? Why not? Because we're not in control. Okay. Why can't we just turn it off? Because we're the source of our own problems, and so if I'm the source of the problems, I cannot be the solution. Okay, we're the source of our problems, and if I'm the source of it, I can't also be the solution to it. Okay? You can't just turn off feelings. Anxiety is an emotion, like happiness like sadness, like fear, we experience anxiety. Is the feeling of anxiety the problem? We experience these feelings, and listen, all of our emotions are a natural response to something in our situation. I feel loved because someone did something for me that made me feel loved. I feel safe because my situation makes sense. And so I feel safe. I feel out of control. My situation is not stable. And so I feel anxious. Our feelings are a response to what's going on around us. So is the feeling of anxiety really the problem? It's not. Again, it seems simple. Paul's saying, don't be anxious. But I think when you look deeper, what Paul is saying is stop living the kind of lives that lead you to anxiety. Have you ever been angry? Anyone? Just me? You ever tried to just stop feeling angry? Kind of made you mad, didn't it? Why can't I just stop this? What's wrong with me? Here's the thing, church. We are not that good at controlling our emotions. We're, we're not. Our emotions are a response to something. If we're going to change the way we feel, then we have to change what's underneath our feelings. We have to change what's causing us to feel that way. Is this making sense? Paul is saying, stop living in such a way that leads you to anxiety. I'm going to say something now that maybe you haven't thought of before, or maybe you have. What if anxiety is actually a gift from God? 
We'll see. What if anxiety, that feeling, that emotion that you have, is actually a gift from God? And here's what I mean by that. What if anxiety is hardwired into each of us to tell us something's wrong? How many of you in here have ever been inside of a car? Half of us? What year is this? Okay. In the car, in the dash, you have these lights that go off. Some of them look like a little oil can. Some of them looks like a little thing of, of a water reservoir. Some of them look like a little gas can. What are those lights meant to tell us? Something's wrong with your car. The people who made cars were smart enough to go, something's going to break down, and we need to tell people something's going on under the hood. Sometimes you don't need those indicators to go off because your wheel fell off on the highway. I know my pressure is low. I get it. Sometimes the car seems to be running fine, but this, this light comes up and goes, hey, be careful. Something's not working the way that it should work. Something is going wrong. These indicator lights are meant to save your life. They're meant to save you. Let's deal with the problem while it's small before it gets too big. What if anxiety was meant to be that for us? Something is wrong. Something is going on under the hood and you have an opportunity to deal with it before it blows up in your face. Real quick, for any men in the room, what's the quickest way to fix an indicator light in your car? No, you don't fix the problem. What? Come on. She obviously doesn't drive. She's one of the people that's never been in a car. Reset the computer. Reset the computer? That's, that's so much work. I have to unplug the battery. A black piece of electrical tape. You put it right over where the light comes up and all of a sudden, problem gone, right? We know this in a car. Ignoring the problem doesn't fix anything. All of a sudden, I know I'm on borrowed time. It's a matter of time until something explodes and I'm in real trouble. But when it comes to that anxiety, when it comes to this warning light, many of us try the same thing. I'm just going to put black tape over it. I'm just going to ignore it. I'll just start moving faster so I don't have time to stop and think about it. I'll just blame somebody else because it's their fault. If they wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't feel anxious. We, we're really good at putting the old piece of black electrical tape over the indicator light. But what if anxiety was God-given, hardwired into us to say, stop, slow down, something's going on under the hood. So if that would be the case, what would this feeling of anxiety be meant to warn us about? We feel anxious. We, we listed all of the external things the, the geopolitical landscape of the world and the world financial system and other people, what would that anxiety be meant to warn us about? Okay. Yeah. When I'm trying to do things in my own strength when I'm trying to fix these problems my own way instead of maybe bringing the Lord in on it or dealing with things his way. Sure. Did you read my notes? All right, I'm going to ignore her for a minute. No, I'm, I'm actually not. That you're standing on shaky foundation instead of something solid. I want to read, uh, we looked at this passage a couple months ago when we were working through the Beatitudes. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it did not collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the wind blew and pounded that house, and it's collapsed, and it collapsed, and its collapse was great. What if anxiety, that feeling that we get, 
was a God-given gift meant to tell us you've stepped off the solid rock. You are standing on shaky ground. Any of you ever tried to like stand up in a boat or been on some kind of situation where it wasn't safe underneath you? How'd you feel? Terrified, anxious, you kind of clench a little bit, like something in you, there's a very natural reaction that says this isn't safe. I'm just going to move on. What if that anxiety is meant to tell you you are standing on something not solid? You have put your weight on something not meant to support it. Anxiety is that warning light that goes off. You've stepped off the solid foundation. You're in the sand. You're on the shaky ground. This isn't meant to hold your weight. The psalmist, actually David in Psalm 18, wrote this. Let me give you a little background before we look at this passage. David is being chased through the desert by thousands of men seeking to kill him. King Saul has said, I want David dead who's with me, and thousands rose up against him. David is running through the desert, hiding in caves, trying to escape him. And here is David's prayer to the Lord. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my mountain where I seek refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. David was able to be in the middle of a situation that any of us would have been anxious in, right? Have any of you ever had, had one person trying to kill you? Maybe don't raise your hand. I, we could talk after. I, don't, I shouldn't ask that question. I've never had one person try to kill me, let alone thousands. I can only imagine how out of control I would feel, how terrified I would feel. But David, in the midst of that situation, says, let's praise the Lord. He is the solid rock that I stand on. And listen, rock wasn't even big enough, so he said, he's my, my mountain where I take refuge. David understood what it was to stand on the solid rock even in the midst of turmoil and anxious times. The feelings of anxiety that we experience are meant to warn us that we're standing on shaky ground. The things that we have placed our hopes and our security on cannot hold the weight. In fact, they were never meant to. Here's the issue. Even when we start to put those things together and we go, oh, okay, I'm on shaky ground, we have a pattern of trying to fix faulty foundations. Jeremiah puts it like this, or actually the Lord through Jeremiah puts it like this to the people of Israel. He says, my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. He was saying this, my people have moved off the solid ground. They've abandoned me. They're going their own way. They're trying to do things in their own strength. And as if that wasn't bad enough, instead of coming to me for living water, they're now digging cisterns for themselves. A cistern, essentially you would dig a hole and then line it with rocks or clay or something that would hold water. And so you pour a whole bunch of water into it and then you draw that water out later. That's how a cistern would work. But he said they didn't even build good cisterns. They built cisterns that leak. They keep pouring themselves into these cisterns and then there's nothing left for them. It all leaches away into the ground. They are ignoring the fountain of living water and are settling for these broken cisterns. And, and what, he's, what he's implicating here is that they didn't just build one and go, oh, that didn't work. They built it, it didn't work, and they go, let's build another. Let's try another. Let's try another. We have a bad habit of doubling down on the shaky ground. We go, this isn't working for me. Maybe I'll try more of it. Maybe I'll try harder and it doesn't work. The anxiety continues to build and to grow. Let me give an example here. It, it sounds like from earlier, we've all watched the news before, right? What sells in the news? Fear. So we watch the news, and we tend to come away feeling a little more afraid than we were before. 
oh man, this whole thing over in Israel and what's the latest death toll and, and what's happening now and what are they gonna try? And we start to feel pretty anxious and uncertain, right? So what do we tend to do? I gotta watch more news. I gotta read more headlines. I gotta scroll through Twitter more. As if that would fix us. The information I just got made me feel anxious. I need more information. And it doesn't work, does it? But what do we keep trying? I gotta watch the news tomorrow. And I'll try a different channel. And I'll, I'll watch a couple different news programs. And we just keep growing more and more anxious. This made me feel anxious. So I'm gonna put even more weight on it, hoping that it will somehow remove the anxiety. And it doesn't work. What else can this look like? That's kind of the news and some of that geopolitical stuff. How else can we try to fix a faulty foundation or, or kind of double down on that shaky ground? What does this look like? I find a problem that I'm anxious about because I don't know how to fix. And so what I'm going to do is put more time and energy into how am I going to fix this? And I come out feeling more anxious because kind of like you said, I'm not the solution to it but I just keep doubling down. I'll spend more time and more energy and more worry, and all I'm left with is more anxiety. How else? I'm gonna, next week we're going to deal with that more, so I'm, I'll come back to that more next week. I tried the American way. I, I tried, you know, again, like she's saying, you graduate from high school, you go to college, and man, once you're done with college, you've got your degree, and you're an actual adult now. And most people graduate and go, eh, this doesn't work. What's next? Oh, okay, yeah, I need a family, and I need to, and we just keep moving to the next thing. Or, or some people have gone through college, and they got their undergrad, and they went, doesn't feel like enough. Kind of like you were saying, I don't, I don't know if I'm enough yet, and so I'll get my master's. And then they get their master's, and they go, eh, still didn't work. I'll get a doctorate. Okay, I, I, I'm moving up in the company. Maybe the next promotion will make me feel like I'm something now, like I'm enough. But we know no other promotion before has made us feel like that. Yet we just keep trying the same thing. What else? Yeah. Has anyone ever actually gotten to the point of comfortable enough? There's always something more. There's always something more I could try. There's always something new out there. I could always have it easier, or this new thing will make life even better. We, we seek comfort because we're scared of pain. We're scared, but we never get to that point where I'm comfortable enough. I, I don't need another thing. I have everything I need. There's always something more that I'm missing, and we just keep chasing our tail seeking comfort, and comfort has never been enough, why would it be in the future? 
Has anyone ever been stressed out financially and so they bought themselves something to feel better? <laughs> or maybe you're stressed out financially or on the other side and so you're going, we got to save more. Has anyone ever reached that point where we're going, I have enough in the savings account now. I'm good. It's never enough. We keep doubling down. We keep going back to these broken cisterns as if, if I keep putting more in, it will finally be enough. And it's never been enough. Anyone ever felt alone and so they sat alone in a room scrolling or streaming something? Because we want connection and I don't feel connection and so I'll just watch this instead. And so look at how good I am connected. Look at how many friends I have. And I come away feeling even more alone afterwards. We keep returning to our broken cisterns and the anxiety rises because all we're doing is trying to, to build up shaky ground that was never meant to hold our weight. We have a pattern of trying to fix faulty foundations. We must learn to stand on the solid foundation if we're going to experience his peace. That's how this thing works. That anxiety isn't telling you, you need more of this. It's telling you, this isn't working and it was never meant to. Sure. We have to learn to shift our weight back onto the solid foundation. You have put your hopes, your dreams, your security in something that will never satisfy and was never meant to satisfy. Sure. That anxiety is there to tell you, shift it back. Shift it back onto the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. I want to share with you a weird story of a solid foundation because it happens in a kind of off-the-wall place. There's a story in the book of Matthew uh, where Jesus is with his disciples and they've just had a really long season of ministry and he tells them, boys, you need some rest. Go on ahead of me. I'm going to stay here and dismiss the crowds. You guys go take it easy. And so he puts them in a boat and he sends them across the sea. And he tells them, don't worry, I'll catch up with you later. And so they get in the boat and they start rowing, apparently never putting together, how's he going to catch up with us later? We're in a boat. But he had a fix for it. And so in the middle of the night, they're rowing across the sea and the waves are starting to pick up and there's a storm brewing. And as the guys are, it says they're just working hard at the oars, trying to make it. They look over and, and what do they see coming at them on the top of the water? Sunday school answer, people. This is an easy one. What do they see coming at them? Jesus. Walking on the water as if it's solid. Let that sink in. And so they see him, and they react like most of us would. They freak out. They lose their stuff. It's a ghost. Oh, no. Do they start rowing faster away from him? Like, I don't know. But finally, he says, guys, it's me. And so Peter, bold, brave, sometimes dumb as a rock, Peter, steps up and says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus answered. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And you know the story, the Lord reaches down and pulls him up. But so Peter gets out of the boat and finds a solid foundation in the middle of the sea, in the middle of a storm. Okay, so let that sink in for a minute. What was Peter doing to stay on top of the waves? Looking at Jesus, keeping his eyes on Jesus, trusting in Jesus. Jesus told him to come, right? There's kind of a promise there. It doesn't say that Jesus snickered and went, sure, go ahead and give it a shot, Peter, and just watched him fall in. Like, there was a promise. Come to me, Peter. I'll take care of you. So Peter kept his eyes focused on Jesus, trusted him, and began to move toward him. What made Peter start to sink? Fear. He took his eyes off of Jesus and he started seeing, this is a crazy situation. There is wind and there is waves. This is actually scary. And he begins to sink. He begins to lose his trust in his faith. Go ahead. It was really scary. Like, he was, like, like, that was lively. Like, he was, you know what I mean? Like, he, it was legitimately like Sure. 
If, if you and me were on a boat in the middle of the night and the waves kicked up, we'd be asking, is this normal? Like, is it supposed to do this? Peter lived his whole life on the sea. He knew this is rough. This is a scary situation. And, and he was right. It, it would have been a scary situation. But he took his eyes off of Jesus. He stopped moving toward him and his faith wavered. All of a sudden, he put his faith in, how am I going to handle all of this coming at me? And he begins to sink. It reminds me of the author of Hebrews writing to a church in the midst of turmoil and an anxious time. We're going to look at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. At the end of Hebrews 11, he's talking about Christian brothers and sisters sawn in two, fed the lions. I mean, just craziness. This was an anxiety-producing situation. And here's what the author of Hebrews says. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on, the, on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. Kind of reminds you of Peter, right? It's, it's crazy. There's waves. It's uncertain. This is actually insane, but keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep moving towards Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of the faith. He's the one that makes the ground solid. So keep moving toward him. Again, I go back to John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, Jesus said. This is right before he left his disciples. Days after this, he was crucified. Anxiety producing, turmoil. But he tells them, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. So let me break this down as simple as I know how. Christianity 101. For those of you that went to school, you, you've been there more than me. 101 means like freshman level, right? Entry level stuff. Here's Christianity 101. The Lord always fulfills his promises. Does anyone else agree, maybe? Amen, yes, okay, good. Christianity 101, the Lord always fulfills his promises. If he made a promise, listen, and we're not experiencing it, who walked away? It wasn't him. He didn't make a promise and then forget about it or make a promise. like he, God doesn't write checks that his butt can't cash, you know what I'm saying? If he promises it, he is able to fulfill it. And so if God promises all kinds of peace, again, it's just all throughout the New Testament, these promises of peace, these prayers of peace, these reminders of peace, and we experience anxiety at all time levels, who has moved away? Us. I have taken my eyes off of him. I have stopped moving toward him. I have placed my faith onto something that cannot sustain me. Typically out of some form of self-preservation, I was fearful, I was troubled, and so I took my eyes off of him and I started looking to these other things, these broken cisterns to be sources of life for me and they have let me down. And so anxiety wells up and it's God's way of going, hey, 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 I always fulfill my promises, you're just not trusting me. You're walking your own way. You've stepped off of the solid rock and you're standing on the shaky ground. I think of the, the old hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. What's the next line? On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Christianity 101, the Lord always fulfills his promises. If he promises it and I'm not experiencing it, I'm out of alignment. Now, we're going to jump a level. Christianity 301. So this is like junior level Christianity here, okay? God always fulfills his promises. When it comes to peace, peace is not something that the Lord gives, now, that sounds weird because in John 14, 27, he says, my peace I give you. But peace is not something the Lord gives as we often tend to think about giving. We can give from a distance, right? Come on, people. We can give from a distance, right? You all have Amazon? Yeah. You ever mailed someone a present? 
You have family that lives out of state, and so you send them something. We have the ability to give from a distance, and sometimes we think that's how God works too. God, I'm on shaky ground. Give me peace. Just like airmail it to me. Throw it over here. I need it. This stuff is shaky and uncertain. God doesn't give in that way. God doesn't give from a distance. Christianity 301, peace is not something the Lord gives. Listen, peace is something that the Lord is. It's not something he gives and goes, yeah, you know what, you need a little bit, of it, but you're pretty far from me here, just, just take some. Peace is something that the Lord is, and we experience peace when we draw near to him. Peace is a byproduct of the Lord's nearness to us. We want, Lord, would you just bless me as I stay over here and do my own thing? Would you give me some peace? Listen, he wouldn't be a good God if he did. He would actually be a bad father if he said, let me make you feel more comfortable in this situation that's going to kill you. That's the actions of an unloving father. But we have a good father who goes, I'm not just going to throw you some peace while you stand over there and die. I'm instead going to call you back to me because I have what you want, but you receive it out of nearness to me. You receive it as you draw near to me, as you keep your eyes fixed on me, as you place your faith back on the solid rock, and as you move towards me. Peace is not transactional. Sometimes we think that like, if I just do things right, God has to give me peace. If I just do things the right way, God, God owes me peace. And so we read the, the very first snippet of Philippians 4, 6. I want to read the whole section. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Sometimes the way we approach this is we're over here on the shaky ground, and we go, okay, Lord, uh, petition. Here's what I want to see happen. Oh, and thanks for my job. Give me peace. I, I did A and B, right? I petitioned the Lord and I was thankful to the Lord. He owes me peace now. But that's not how the Lord works. First of all, let's just start here. Anything, anytime you start with God owes me, you're already, a, nope. You're on shaky ground. God owes us nothing. He wants to give us all things, but he says, not while you're standing over there. You can, quote, do it right. You can come to church more often. You can put more in the offering plate. You can serve more and still be distant from God. Am I the only one? We can do the right things and think, what the heck, God, you owe me now, but our hearts are still distant. Our eyes are not fixed. Our faith is still in the shakiness around us. It's only when we transfer the weight of our hopes, our dreams, our security onto the solid rock of Jesus. Only then do we receive the peace of God which transcends understanding. A solid foundation in the middle of the sea, in the middle of a storm. It comes in nearness to Jesus it's not a transactional thing. I did this, now you owe me, God. Peace is not transactional, it's relational. Peace is something that we, we don't earn from God by doing the right things. We receive from the Father when we draw near to him. James 4.8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is a promise. When we choose to move back toward him, here's the, the beauty of our God. If the solid rock is over here, and I've been wandering for years, and the ground is getting shakier and shakier, and I go, I need, God, I need to come back. You have what I need, and I need to step back. He doesn't go, cool, I'm still a mile and a half away, start walking. When I turn back towards him, solid ground is right there before me. Our God, he doesn't meet us halfway. He doesn't wait for us on the other side. He follows us. His goodness and his mercy follow us all the days of our life. All we need to do is turn around. The solid rock is right there. His peace is waiting. 
We simply have to turn. Peace is a byproduct of being with him, truly near to him. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. Trust in the Lord forever, because in Yahweh the Lord is an everlasting rock. Who keeps our mind in peace? What do he say? Does he, is, is Isaiah telling the people of God, hey, keep your minds in peace? What's he saying? The Lord. That you is, this is speaking to the Lord. He says, you, Lord, will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace. Our job is to depend. His job is to bring the peace. He's promised this to us if we will turn and depend on him. 1 Peter 5, 6-7, we're coming to a close. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. You don't have a distant father who's going, man, I, I don't know what you're going through. I can't relate to this. You have a father who cares for you, who is calling you back to himself and saying, cast your anxieties on me. The things that are important to you, put them on a solid foundation and I'll take care of them. I will keep your mind at peace if you will just come to me with the things that are important to you. If you will depend on me for the things that are important to you. Is this making sense, church? A couple practical steps. First is this, allow anxiety to be a warning light, to be the warning light that it was meant to be. That anxiety that you feel, whether it's raging in the moment or it's this low-level thing that you just try not to look at out of the corner of your eye, it's that dash light, it's that warning indicator going, hey, 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 you're on shaky ground. It's time to turn back. Allow anxiety to be the warning light that it was meant to be. To begin to move toward the Lord in those areas of your life. And listen, when I say those areas, because maybe it's financial, maybe it's relational, maybe you don't know. Maybe you feel anxiety. This is where I've been. And going, okay, I'm anxious about something. I don't, I'm not even smart enough to know what I feel anxious about. So instead, I'm going to come to the Lord and I'm going to go, Lord, would you show me? You have given me this anxiety. It's a gift from you telling me, stop, turn. Would you show me in what areas I'm walking away? Would you show me in what areas I've placed my faith on shaky ground? And as he begins to reveal to you, hey, it's in finances. Hey, it's in this relationship. Hey, you are a people pleaser. And you're anxious all the time because you don't know what people are thinking about you. Whatever it may be. Begin to look at his promises to you in those areas. Can I tell you something, 21st century church? Use Google. People text me all the time, hey, do you have a verse about this? I Google it and then just send it to them. The Bible's big. There's a lot of stuff in there. I certainly don't have it all memorized. Google verses on peace. Verses on God providing. And instantly there will be, here's 50 verses about how God provides for his people. And here's what I do. This is, maybe yours is, looks different and that's okay. This is just what works for me. I just start reading through those and find one that kind of like hits me. You know what I mean? There's some verses you read and you don't go, well, that's not true. But you read it and you kind of go, oh, cool. And there's other ones you read and it's just like, that's what I need. That's what I've been avoiding. That's what, start to look at what are the promises that God has made to you in some of those areas, and then listen, choose to trust them. I say, well, is it that easy we can just choose to? Yes. Faith is a choice. You choose what you place your faith in. When you recognize shaky ground and you find the promise that God has made to you, make the, listen, it's difficult, and it's, not, it's a choice we have to keep making, but choose to place your faith in it. Choose to trust him. And listen, bring in trusted brothers and sisters. Don't wrestle it alone. 
Again, maybe you're in that spot of going, man, I don't even know what I'm anxious about. I just know I'm anxious. Someone who you can trust to sit down and go, hey, well, let's pray about that together. Lord, what are they anxious about? Someone who's going to walk with you through this. Someone who you can text and go, man, I'm still, I'm still really anxious about my finances. And they can remind you about the promises of God. They can pray the promises of God over you. If you are experiencing this anxiety, which, listen, most of us are, if not all of us, let it be the warning it's meant to be. Find out and choose to trust the promises of God and bring in some trusted brothers and sisters. Don't fight it alone. Find a counselor. Find someone who's further along than you. Find someone who they don't have any answers, but I know they love me, and just start walking with them in it. God desires, he has promised peace to those whose eyes are fixed on him. If we're not experiencing that, we need to change. I'm going to ask the music team to come up. I'm going to pray to close this time. We're going to sing another song of worship, and I and the elders will be over here in this corner. If you're here this morning and you're going, I'm aware of the anxiety. The, the lights are blinking. Come. We would love to pray with you. We would love to pray that the Lord reveals to you his peace, that the Lord shows you the shaky ground, that he, he shows you the next step. I can't fix you but I would love to seek the Lord with you. So during this next song, if that's you, take a bold step of faith and come over and allow us to pray with you and for you in this area. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the promises that you have made. I think in Isaiah where you said that your word never comes back void. Lord, you always fulfill your promises, every single one of them even the ones that we haven't read yet and don't know about yet. You desire for us to live in the fulfilled promises that you have made. May we turn back. May we repent, humble ourselves, as Peter said, under the mighty hand of God. That we can cast our anxieties on you and we can receive from you peace. Peace that transcends understanding, makes no sense in the midst of the world we live in but peace that is a solid rock under our feet because our king is near. And where the king is, fear has no place. Perfect love drives out fear. So come, Lord Jesus, may we be these people wholly dependent on you, building on the solid rock that even when the storms come, we will not be shaken because you will never be shaken. So lead us, Lord Jesus, forward, I pray. It's in your name. Amen.